thankful that you are with us this morning. If you have your Bible and would like to share the reading of God's Word with me this morning, I am going to ask you to turn over to 1 Kings chapter 18. So 1 Kings chapter 18, verse number 21. I want to speak this morning concerning the prophet Elijah and his this text that we're about to read here this morning is the proverbial biblical example of the showdown at the OK Corral Elijah the Bible says in verse 21 of that 18 chapter 1 Kings Elijah came unto all of the people and he said How long halt ye between two opinions? How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the Bible said, and the people answered him not a word. I have always called that the Pentecostal stare. They couldn't say amen, they didn't say they didn't say oh me, they just looked at him. He said if the Lord is God then follow the Lord, but if Baal is God then follow him. And the people answered him not a word, and then said Elijah unto the people, I even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks or two bulls and let them choose one for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it upon the wood and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bull and lay it upon wood and put no fire under it. And you call upon the name of your gods and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And the people answered and said, it is well spoken. And I'm going to stop reading right there this morning. Ask that you bow your heads and let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for the gracious opportunity that you have given us to be here in the house of God this morning. Thank you for giving us the strength and the ability and the opportunity and the chance to come into the house of the Lord with our fellow believers and into your presence to hear your word. I pray this morning, Heavenly Father, that you would anoint the hearts of the hearers, that you would anoint what is spoken here this morning, In my own ability, I am incapable. But I pray this morning, Lord, that if you will touch me and if you will anoint me, give me divine unction and divine ability to speak. Use me as an instrument in your hand. Let Christ be glorified. Let the people of God be edified. Let those that listen by way of the internet be touched. 
Prepare our hearts to receive. Use us. Bless me now to be a blessing, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name and everyone in agreement with that prayer said amen. amen. I want to title the message this morning, When the Fire Falls. When the Fire Falls. I mean, you know that when it comes to natural fire, we would be in a world of hurt if, uh, if we had not learned how to utilize natural fire. Ever since man discovered fire, it has been a useful tool. Stop and think about what a cold December night might feel like without fire. Stop and think about what it might, what it might feel like if we didn't have the benefits of fire. The natural fire. Well, let me just share with you this morning that I believe the spiritual fire of God is just as relevant and just as needful in our lives. Amen. It is not the natural fire that I want to speak about this morning, but it is my desire to direct our thoughts and direct our hearts toward the symbolism of fire. As it relates to God and as it relates to revival and as it relates to restoration in our lives. As it relates to a godly zeal that burns on the inside of our hearts. Do you remember when the two men walked the Emmaus road with Jesus and the Bible said that as they walked with him and as they listened to his word and as they heard him speak and they were in his presence, later they said, did not our hearts burn within us? Amen. They were, they were affected. They were zealously affected. By the presence of the Lord. Amen. All throughout scripture we can find at different times that God symbolizes, amen, the use of fire as a symbol of his purity, of us, as a symbol of his holiness, and as a symbol of his power. Genesis chapter 15, and you don't necessarily need to turn there, but I encourage you to read it in your own time. But Genesis chapter 15, God is seen as a burning torch as he physically came down into the presence of Abraham and he literally walked between the sacrifice that Abraham had prepared for him. The Bible said that he came down in the night as a torch or a flame of fire confirming his covenant with Abraham. That fire passing between the sacrifice in that scene represents God's purity and God's holiness and God's covenant reliability. Again, we see fire as a symbol in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, God appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And once again, the righteousness and the purity and the holiness of God are implied by the presence of the fire, further illustrated and validated by the fact that when Moses saw it and he drew near, God spoke to him out of the burning bush and said, Moses, pull off the shoes, amen, that you have upon your feet because the ground that you are standing on is holy ground. 
Why was it holy ground? Because the presence of the Lord was there. In Exodus chapter 13, God is seen as a pillar of fire by night. You will remember as the children of Israel traveled through the wilderness, the Bible says that there was a pillar of cloud that followed them by day and a pillar of fire that followed them by night. Uh, amen. That pillar of fire taught the children of Israel that not only was their God pure and not only was their God holy, but it taught them that he was uh, their light. It taught them that he was uh, their guide it taught them that he was their protector and that he was their provider that pillar of fire by night brought a comfort to the people of God because they realized that that pillar of fire represented the presence of the living God in Deuteronomy chapter 4 Verse number 24, Moses declares to the people that our God is a consuming fire. Years later, the writer of Hebrews would take a pen in hand and he would reiterate and confirm that message in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 29. He says that our God is a consuming fire. John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness comes and he says in Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I and his shoes I am not worthy to carry. And when he has come, John said, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He said, whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge the floor, his floor, his threshing floor. And he will gather the wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What does that mean? Amen. Whose fan is in his hand. What does that mean? Amen. Understand that in the biblical times when they would thresh the wheat... They would harvest the wheat and they would thresh it upon the threshing floor. And then there would be someone that would stand off to the side with a winnow or a fan. And they would take a shovel and they would scoop up the, the grain and they would toss it in the air. And then someone would fan it and the chaff would blow off of the, of the wheat and the wheat would be heavier and fall back to the threshing floor. So what John was saying, he says, when Jesus comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and he will baptize you with fire whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his threshing floor and he will gather the wheat into the, amen, into the bender, into the garner or into the, amen, to the harvest. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In other words, he's saying that when Jesus comes and he baptizes us in the spirit of the living God, that, that spirit, that fire is going to be a cleanser and it's going to be a, amen, it's going to be a cleanser and a purifier to our soul. Often scripture 
defines or, or symbolizes fire as a fiery passion. It symbolizes fire as a fiery zeal for the things of God. Often in scripture, fire is used as a symbol of the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, the Bible said, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord with one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all of the house where they were setting. And you can finish it. And there were cloven tongues like as of fire that descended upon them and sat down upon them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. What I'm saying this morning is oftentimes that fire is symbolic of the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. Over and over again, fire is used as a symbol of the presence of God the anointing of God, the fiery passion burning in our hearts for the Lord. Amen. Let me just tell you this morning, we need the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in our lives. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit burning brightly in our hearts because fire consumes, fire cleanses, fire convicts, and fire converts. Amen. Fire in the scripture is seen as burning away the impurities and the dross of our life. God says in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 25, he says, I will turn my hand upon you. I will turn my hand upon you and I will purely purge you and take away thy dross and take away all of your impurities. The King James says, and take away all of thy tin. Again, let me give you the sim symbolism or the symbolic feel of Isaiah 1 and 25. How many of you know how they purify gold? They purify gold by starting a fire. They, they, they put a fire under it, and the hotter they get the fire, the more of the impurities in the gold surface to the top. And they skim that impurity off, and the, and the gold becomes more pure and more pure as the furnace is heated up. God is saying, I will turn my hand upon you. And I will purely purge away thy dross. And I will take away thy tent. I will, I will turn up the, the Spirit's fire. And I will turn it up to the place where it, where it removes the impurities of your heart. And it removes the impurities of your thoughts. And it removes the dross and the things that ought not. I will turn it up and make you not ten carat, not four. 18 carat, not 18 carat, but I'll turn it up to the point that I turn you into 100% pure gold. It is the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin. 
but it is the fire of the Holy Spirit that purifies and purges away the sinful ways of our old life and our old nature. You hear what I'm saying? We need the fire of the Holy Spirit to, 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 to fall within our hearts. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit to set us on fire. Amen. As we sang that chorus this morning, amen, I didn't talk to Houston about what I wanted him to lead, but as, I, as we sang that chorus, amen, oh God, start a fire, set a fire within my heart, amen, and turn it up to the place, amen, where the impurities begin to come to the surface and remove the dross from my life, and remove the impurities from my heart uh, that I may be set afire for, amen, for the presence of the Lord and with the presence of the Lord, amen, clean and change the landscape of my heart. How many of you know fire will change the landscape? Uh, amen, God set a fire within me that changes the landscape of my heart. And that's what needed to happen. That's what needed to happen in our text. They needed the fire of God to fall from heaven. They needed the fire of God to fall from heaven and change the hearts of the children of Israel. If I may this morning just give you some context and the setting of the scriptures that we've read. The children of Israel had fallen into idolatry. They had turned their back upon God. They had walked away from the commandments of the Lord. They were living in days of apostasy. They were living in days of apathy. They were living in the days of idolatry. And people had molded images with their own hand and set them up and began to worship them as God. They began to worship idols. They had fallen into sin because of their leader. At the time, Israel was led by one of the most wicked kings in Scripture. His name was Ahab. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse number 33. This is what the Bible says. And Ahab made a grove meaning that he had set up an idol and planted trees around the, the idol so that he could worship in the shade. Ahab had planted a grove. He had set up an idol to his false god. And then 1 Kings 16, 13 says these words, And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all of the other kings that were before him. So understand that the children of Israel are being led by a very, very, very wicked man. His wife, his queen, Jezebel, had led the people further away from God. And as a result, uh, their sins had brought a drought upon the land. 
they had they had given themselves to idolatry and then in verse or in chapter 17 of first kings elijah shows up on the scene he's not seen in scripture before but he shows up in chapter 17 and he says to ahab as the lord lives it will not rain but according to my word and he leaves and then we read in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 17, that it hadn't rained on their land for three and a half years. So for three and a half years, because of their idolatry and their wickedness, God had shut the heavens and it refused to rain. It was a time when there was no move of God. There was no favor from God. There was no reverence for God. There was no zeal for the things of the Lord. Men had turned unto idols and they had turned unto idolatry. And there was no passion for the things of God. I look around at the world that we live in today and I can see that same kind of uh, attitude toward the things of God. Many, amen, many have turned their back upon the Lord. Many have walked away that same apathy and that same complacency is alive and well in our lives. Amen. The hearts of many this morning are far from the things of God. When God began to put this word upon my heart, there are three things that I want you to see in the people of that day. Because that they had turned themselves away from God. I, there are three very, very relevant things that I want you to see. The condition of the people, number one, they were a people of compromise. They had compromised their convictions. They had compromised their love for God. They had compromised their commitment and their dedication to God. They had compromised the commandments of the Lord and they were not following the commandments of God. The word compromise means that they had come to the place where they had weakened their principles. Let me just share something with you this morning. Amen. When the fire is not burning in your heart, amen, you're going to find it real easy to begin to compromise, amen, with the things of God. When you're not set on fire for the things of the Lord, you're going to find it real easy to start giving place to compromise. Maybe not big things, just little things. Well, let me just share something with you. It doesn't have to be big things. Amen? It doesn't have to be big things. As a matter of fact, Solomon chapter 2 verse 15 says that it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. It is the little foxes that spoil the vine. What do you mean, Pastor Gary? What I'm saying is they had weakened their principles and they had substituted the truth for a lie. They had exchanged righteousness for unrighteousness. They had substituted the living God, amen, for idols that had been made with wood and stone and precious, precious metal. They had exchanged a relationship with the living God for that which was unprofitable and beloved because of their compromise 
their hearts begin to become darkened and they, they begin to lose out with God. Beware of compromise. Beware of compromising the truth. How many of you know if you have a rifle that's off at 30 yards, by the time it reaches 100 yards, you're going to be even further off. Hello? Amen. Little, little concessions have a great impact upon our relationship with God. When we start making concessions concerning the word of God, we will end up missing the mark. When we start making concessions concerning God's word, we run the risk of spoiling our connection to the vine. It is the little things that spoil the vine. When we, when we begin to make compromises, if God said it, then we don't need to line the word of God up with the way we want to live. We need to line up with the way the word of God tells us how to live and when we make compromises we are headed for heartache when we make compromises we snuff out the fire of revival we snuff out the fiery passion of the Lord and if we're not careful we'll wind up just as our people here in the text they were a compromising people. They had compromised the truth for a lie. They had compromised the living God for a God made of hands or made with hands. Amen. Ask yourself the question this morning, have you, have I begun to make compromises in our walk with the Lord? Is there, was there a time that we were more in love with Jesus than we are right now? Have we left our first love? You remember in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Have we compromised to the point where we have left our first love? Do we still have the joy of our salvation? Has our prayer life become weak and neglected? Amen. Do we feed? Do we love to feed upon the word of God or has something else become our substitute? What I'm saying this morning is, amen, if we make little concessions along the way, pretty soon we'll find out that we are way off of the the people had become a people of compromise they had extinguished the fire of God their hearts amen their hearts were no longer burning with a passion to do that which was right in the sight of the Lord let me warn you that compromise will always bring the second thing that I feel like the people were and that I want to talk to you about this morning and that second thing amen compromise will always lead to corruption they were a corrupt people they had come to the place where they called good evil and evil good. How do you know that, Pastor Gary? Verse, verse 17 and verse 18 in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. The king had removed, listen, now the king himself had removed and ordered removed the things of God. And they set up idols. They had forsaken the commandments of God. And then... In, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says, and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, when Ahab saw, El, uh, or when, uh, when Ahab saw Elijah 
Ahab said to him, this is what Ahab said to him, are you the guy that troubles Israel? They were so corrupt that they were blaming the man of God for their troubles. Are you the one that troubles Israel? Elijah said, ain't me. Ain't my fault. But you are the one. You and your father's house. You are the one that have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. You are the one that has determined to follow Baal. You are the one that have set up false up. Don't blame me for your trouble. I'm not the one that, amen, has caused the troubles in your life. But they were so corrupt that instead of blaming themselves, they were blaming the man of God. Compromise always leads to corruption. Ahab says to Elijah, are you the one who's troubling Israel? And Elijah, Elijah says, it's not me that's bringing trouble to your household. It's you. He said, I'm the only, I'm the only one that's still serving the Lord. And in other words, they had become so corrupt all the way to the core that they were calling good evil and evil good and blaming their problems on everybody but themselves. Let me just tell you this morning that compromise will always lead to corruption. And compromise and corruption will always lead to number three, confusion. The people were confused. They were confused. Elijah comes to the people and he says, how long? How long will you halt between two opinions? How long are you going to remain in indecision? Somebody said they're trying to ride the fence. Let me give you a news break. If you try to ride a fence, you are going to end up injured. Hello? They, are, they have compromised and they have become so corrupt that they don't know what's right and what's wrong. Elijah comes to them and says, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? How long are you going to remain in indecision? How long are you going to try to, amen, satisfy both sides? How long are you going to, amen, try to walk the middle? You're either going to serve God or you're not going to serve God. And he calls them to a place or a moment of decision. He says in our story in 1 Kings chapter 18, he says to the people, gather to me all of Israel to Mount Carmel. Have everyone come to Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, 450. And the prophets of the grove, 400. How many of you know 450 and 400 is 850? Against one man of God. He calls them to the OK Corral. He calls them for a showdown. He says, I tell you what, let's do. Let's have us a little contest. Let's have us a little contest. Seeing how you can't make up your mind. 
Seeing how you can't decide. Seeing how you are in such confusion that you don't know what's right and what's wrong and what, amen, who is the real God. You gather everybody to me, get all of the prophets of Baal, the prophets of the grove, and you choose a bullock, an animal for yourself. And I will take one. And you build an altar and, and you get ready to sacrifice to your gods. And I will prepare an altar and I will get prepared to sacrifice to Jehovah. And we will put our animals upon the altar and upon the wood. And then we will pray. And the God that answers with fire, that's the God that we will serve. And they all said, that's a, that's a great idea. That's, that, that's a winner. Let's do that. So I want, you to just, I want you to just see this in your mind. They gather at Mount Carmel. There are two bulls. One is chosen by the prophets of Baal. One is given to Elijah. The prophets of Baal, he said, you go first for you are many. It's going to take me longer to put my, put my altar together and get my animal butchered and put on the on the wood you go ahead you guys go first so the bible said that they raised up their altar and they placed wood on it and they cut their bullock in pieces and they they put him upon the wood and they began to call upon the name of their gods and no one answered and there was no fire there was no fire the fire did not fall. And they, they prayed and they cried aloud from nine until noon. And at noontime, Elijah started to pour a little salt into the wound. <laughs> he said, hey, maybe your God is asleep. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe pre-adventure he is on a journey. He said, God, maybe you got to holler a little bit louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Amen. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he is, maybe he is on a journey. Maybe he sleeps. He must be awakened. And they cried, the Bible said, with a loud voice all the way till noon. They cut themselves with knives and lancets. And they, amen, the Bible said the blood ran out of their bodies. And they leaped upon the sacrifice. And they called upon the name of their false god. And there was no fire. They had prayer, but no power. They had fervor, but no fire. They had an altar, but no God that could hear. They had fervor, but they had no fire. They, they had a God that could not hear them. Psalms 135, verse number 15 through verse 17 says these words. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold. They are the work of men's hands. They have mouths to speak, but they cannot speak. They have eyes to see, but they cannot see. They have ears to hear, but they cannot hear. Neither is there any breath in their mouth. In other words, they are dead and useless. 
How many of you know this morning that if actions speak louder than words, then the silence of Baal spoke volumes. If actions speak louder than words, then the fact that there was no fire that fell spoke volumes to the people of God. Years ago, I read a little story that illustrates actions speak louder than words. There was a young man that fell head over heels in love with a young lady. They both lived in Tennessee. The young man was an engineer at an electrical plant. His company offered him a position in Ireland for two years. If he would take the position in Ireland and be away from his home and take care of the things that needed to be taken care of, they would compensate him greatly. He and his girl decided that it would be a good idea if he went over to Ireland, they would, they would both remain faithful to one another and they would pool their resources together when he got back and they would take that great amount of compensation that he had received for those two years and they would get married, buy themselves a home and they would settle down. So the young man, he departs for Ireland some months go by and his young fiance writes to him and says, I fear, I fear that maybe you are being tempted to be unfaithful with all of the beautiful women in Ireland. I fear that maybe you are being led astray. And he writes back to her his undying love. And he says, honey, I'm being faithful to you and I'm saving myself for you. And, and I, I, will, I will continue to do so. A few weeks later, he gets a package in the mail. And here is a note from his uh, beautiful fiance. And she says, I'm sending you a harmonica so you can learn to play it and have, have your mind taken off all of the beautiful ladies that are in Ireland. And so the young engineer, he replied back to her, thank you for the harmonica. I'm practicing on it every night. I think of you as I play. And finally the day arrived when he would be able to be released and come home and he catches a flight and he lands in Tennessee and there is his beautiful fiance ready to greet him. And he rushes to meet her and she says, hold on, Billy Bob. Before there's any kissing and any hugging, I want to hear you play the harmonica. <laughs> I mean, you know, Billy Bob was in trouble if he couldn't play the harmonica. <laughs> Actions speak louder than words. People that were there that day were watching all of their prophets, all of their, all of their false prophets call upon the name of their false gods and nothing was happening. And the Bible said that they called upon the name of their God, amen, all the way from 9 o'clock till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And there was no one that answered and there was no fire. And Elijah said, all right, past midday, about the time of the evening sacrifice. 
Elijah says, come to me. Everybody gather over here. And he set up his altar, 12 stones, to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Laid the wood on it, laid the oxen or laid the bull upon that wood. And he said, let's make it a little more challenging. He had dug a trench around the altar and he said, let's make it a little more challenging. I want you to get four barrels of water and I want you to pour it upon the sacrifice. And they got four barrels and they filled them with water and they poured it upon the sacrifice. And he said, let's do it again. And so they filled the four barrels a second time and poured it upon the sacrifice. Water running off of the bullock onto the wood, through the rocks, out into the trench. He said, I don't think it's wet enough yet. Let's do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the Bible said that water was running off into the trench. And then he filled, he intentionally filled the trench. And then he walks up to the sacrifice. There's no cutting himself and jumping on the sacrifice. There's none of that stuff. He just says, Lord God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, that these people may know that you are the true and the living God, that they may know that you are a God that answers prayer. That you can clear up the confusion and the corruption, amen, and bring them back to you. That you, amen, would just answer the prayer. And the Bible said that before Elijah could get the words out, fire fell out of heaven. Landed upon the sacrifice and the fire was so hot. That the Bible said that it consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the wood. It licked up the dust. And it, and it, 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 it literally caused the rocks to crumble. And all of that water that they had poured on the sacrifice. The Bible said that it licked up all of the water. There was nothing left but a hole in the ground. And the Bible said when they saw that, the people fell upon their face. You will find it in verse 39. And when the people saw it, they fell upon their faces. And they said, the Lord, he is God. Amen. He is the God. Not, not a God. He is the God. Their confusion cleared up. Amen. They became, they became unified in their decision to follow after the Lord. The confusion cleared up. The compromise turned into commitment. Amen. The corruption turned into repentance and they fell upon their faces and they began to call upon the name of the Lord all because the fire had fallen. Beloved, I'm here to tell you this morning that when the fire falls in our lives, when the fire falls in our heart, we'll become one unified with the body of Christ.
When the fire falls in our hearts, there won't be any nitpicking and backbiting in the house of God. When the Spirit of the Lord falls and the fire falls upon our hearts, there won't be any stone throwing. Amen. And bitterness will have to take a back seat to love. There won't be any fault finding and finger pointing in the house of God. When the fire falls, our cold and indifferent spirit will become passionate again about the things of God. Mm. Hallelujah. My prayer for us is, oh God, let the fire of the Holy Spirit fall in our hearts. If we are walking in a cloud of confusion, let the fire fall in our hearts that it will clear up the confusion and we'll quit trying to ride the fence and amen and our compromise will turn to commitment and we'll turn to the true and living God with a whole heart Jesus the Bible said that the first commandment is this to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart with all of your soul and with all of your might that means with every Everything that is within you. That means with some fervency. Amen. That means with some passion. That means with some zeal. Amen. Don't just drag into the house of God. Amen. No. Come expecting to receive and expecting to be blessed and touched by the God that you serve. Come with a passionate heart. David, the psalmist said, I was glad. When they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Hmm. You understand what I'm saying this morning? We need the fire of God to fall. A fire of revival to fall upon our hearts. A fire of revival that draws us closer to him. And we confess the Lord. He is the God. He is the God. He is my God. Amen. We sang that chorus, set a fire within my heart. Amen. I just want you to know something this morning that we can have more of God when God can have more of us. If we just give him a little more room, he'll fill our hearts. It's so easy. I'm going to close here in just a moment. It's so easy to allow the fire to go out. It's so easy to allow the raging flame to become a dying ember. It's so easy for us to just watch the logs settle and get comfortable and get complacent. And slowly, slowly compromise begins to work its way in to our life and compromise brings corruption and confusion and separation from God. If you are here this morning and you, you don't have the passion, the zeal, the fervent desire to serve the Lord that you once had, then just pray, Lord, stir the fire in me. Let the fire fall in my heart. Let the fire fall in my spirit. 
the fire of the Holy Ghost. Let it renew my passion. Let it renew my zeal. Let it renew my walk. Bring revival to my heart and restoration to my heart. Mm. Bow your heads, if you will, please. All over the building this morning, bow your heads, if you will. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, it is the fire of the Holy Spirit that brings passion and zeal. And I pray this morning, God, if that fire has begun to die out in our life, that we would recognize, that we would recognize that it's time to stir the fire and pray. God, let the fire of God fall upon my heart. This morning, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will take the words of this message that you have given to me. Take it to the hearts of the hearers, and Lord, you, you do a work in their life that only you can do. I pray in Jesus' name, heads bowed, eyes closed. Are you here this morning? And you would be willing to say to the Lord, God, stir the fire in my heart. Yes, stir a fire in my heart. Let a passion burn brightly in my spirit for the things of God, with the love of God. God sees hands that are being lifted all over the bill. Lord, let a fire begin in my spirit, in my heart. Set a fire in my heart. I want more of you, God, more of you. Burn out the draws. Remove the impurities. Let me draw nearer to thee. In Jesus' name I ask. Those that lifted your hands, everyone just stand to your feet. If you lifted your hands, let me just pray with you right now. Everyone lift your hand up toward heaven. Lord, we just worship you. Those of us that lifted our hands this morning say, God, stir a fire in my spirit. Let that happen right now. Let that happen right now. Let the power of your Holy Spirit, let the power of your Holy Spirit flood their heart. Let the fire fall. In Jesus' mighty name, let the fire fall. In Jesus' mighty name, come and say, set a fire.